stay fly, stay fly. You know, we 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 know about the spiritual tithing, but do we give to our own organizations that look out for the best interests of African people? We're in an economy where, you know, having multiple streams of income is a must. You know, it's not a luxury anymore. It's a must because the one thing that this pandemic has shown us is that job security is the ultimate lie. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. Hey man, good to be back with you. Learn from and earn. Actually learn and earn from the good minister zombie. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's do this, bro. Let's do this. Go ahead now. This is some. These are some teachings from your your Van Glorious book, the Gospel of Afronomics Theology. Right. Yes, this is from uh, the book, which uh, we're approaching the one year anniversary as of uh, Valentine's Day this year. So it will be one year since this book was published. Okay, and what we're going to talk about tonight is one of the principles from the book, and the principle is entitled cultural tithing. Okay, and it's a it's a phrase that I coined while I was writing the book, and in fact, it's principle number nineteen. We want African people to give 10% of their income to race first organizations committed to improving the lives and livelihoods of African people. Charity begins at home and African people need to consistently contribute to organizations that address our educational, cultural, spiritual, and other civic needs. Now, why is this important? We, we always talk about supporting black business. But you rarely hear us discuss supporting black nonprofits and other entities that look out for the highest and greatest good of African people domestically and globally. Okay, so what is cultural tithing? I'll give you an example. All right. Today's Sunday. Okay, let's say you and I, we go to the uh we go to the bodega, we go to the gas station. Mega Millions is Tuesday. Right now it's sitting at about 300 million. Okay, so we get our tickets. Tuesday, we watch the live drawing. Our number hits. Okay, so Brother Siku gets his 300 million. He decides to cut a check to his fraternity, Omega Psi Phi. For $30 million. Okay. So that's an example of cultural tithing because the brother is a part of an organization that is what I would call a race first organization. Okay. That looks out. Well, brother, for- I, I will, yeah. well I, I will say that uh, Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated is primarily race first, it's mm. historically race first. We do have Asian, Caucasian, uh, of course, we've, uh, you know, melanated Latino, but uh, and, uh, a few East Indians who are members of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was uh, pledged by one of our white Jewish 
<laughs> brethren. Uh, so yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, although I will say historically, mm-hmm. we're race first. Okay. Yeah, and and that's the thing that I'm that I'm getting at is. You know, taking care of those organizations, those organizations that need to be funded. Um, and it's not just Omega Sci-Fi. I mean, we can talk about um, if those of you who are graduates of any HBCU, there's like 105 of those. You know, how many how many of us are donating to the general scholarship fund of these HBCUs or even to the United Negro College Fund? Okay, you know, I donated to the United Negro College Fund, I think. Four times. Mm, Okay. How how was that experience? It was easy was, you know, write the check. (laughs) They took the check, the check cleared. It didn't bounce, you know, thank you letter. (laughs) It was all good. Um, But but I, I, I do think that you have an interesting point. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to interrupt. Of course, I'll, I don't mind being no, a living no. example, but uh, right. please but, proceed, brother. You know, to go back to, you know, now you cut this check for $30 million to Omega Sci-Fi. Now Omega Sci-Fi can fulfill its mission, vision, and purpose without struggle because of your generous donation. You see? So that's an example of cultural tithing. You know, we, we, we know about the spiritual tithing, but do we give to our own organizations that look out for the best interests of African people? Mm. Okay. You know, it makes me think of a program I attended just before the pandemic started here in America. Mm-hmm. There's an organization in Hampton Roads, Virginia called the Hampton Rose Community Foundation and mm. they are involved with this program that helps set up a philanthropic endeavor uh, for blacks mm. primarily for blacks in Hampton Rose and one of the things that they showed which blew me away is they did a they've done you know the Kellogg's you know we think of Kellogg's we think of cereal you know mm. Apple Jacks Tony the Tiger I guess maybe I don't know whose team he plays for <laughs> he might be Kellogg. He might be somebody else. I don't know. You know. But my point is, when we think of Kellogg's, we think of cereal. But they have so many things that they do. One of which is research. Mm. And the Kellogg Foundation did some research. And interestingly enough, we always talk about we broke. We broke. And we actually believe that we don't have the resources that could change the world. But mm. we do. Because the Kellogg Foundation in their research found that you know commonly pe- you know people commonly called black give at a greater rate they donate they're involved in philanthropic activity at a greater rate than our non-black family members you know our non-black peers mm. so but we do it in a really interesting way we do it primarily through our churches right. that's the primary way that we give our resources to our churches. Mm-hmm. We give to 
Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts. Mm. We give to football teams and, you know, the cheerleading teams when they're doing their fundraisers and things of that nature. We give to fraternities and sororities. I think fraternities and sororities was number five on the list. It was in the top ten. It was in the top ten. And uh, then one, and also in that top ten was we give to our colleges. Okay. So, and when they aggregated everything, we do more per capita. Mm. Per capita. Not necessarily in total, but per capita than our non-black colleagues. But we think we broke. Mm. We think we ain't got nothing. Right. And, you know, we do do some silly things. A lot of us invest in Christmas toys and gifts thinking that our children are going to get better. <laughs> um, I think Crumb from Crumb TV is famous for saying that. Um, okay. But it's, yeah, so the, the Kellogg Foundation found out that we give more than they do. Mm. But we do it in a way that's normally not traceable because okay. the the sororities, the churches, uh, the Boy Scouts, the football team, the step teams, they don't necessarily track and give reports to national organizations the way some of our peers, our colleagues, our non-black colleagues do. Mm. So, once again, we fall for the okie doke thinking we ain't got no money. Mm. We have resources. Right. I'm going to see if I can find that while you're doing your talk, brother. But okay. I think that goes into the discussion of cultural tithing pretty well. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that the Kellogg Foundation discovered that we, you know, we give more philanthropically per capita. Okay, but now let's go into the totality of things, and, and I'm going to use HBCUs as an example. You have approximately 105 HBCUs. If we were to take the endowment of all 105 HBCUs, okay, it would be a fraction of what how uh, not Howard Harvard's endowment is. Okay, Harvard's endowment is roughly about 42 billion. Our HBCUs, I think. I think we barely cracked maybe one, two billion at best. Okay. So when we do philanthropic things, what what is the amount that we give in in regards to our cultural tithing? And do we give amounts that wind up being traceable? Because it's not so much that we don't have money is that we we lack the organization of our resources to 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 put it to our benefit okay so it still goes back to how are we organizing our resources our information and our people so that way we can make greater contributions to these organizations that are, that are uh, geared to look out for our best interest Okay. So so I think it still goes back to 
how do you organize your resources? Because other groups have figured out how to organize our resources. So why haven't we sat down and organized our resources to our benefit? And that's part of what I get into in my book. In fact, there's another thing that I wrote in in this book. It's a little later. Um, it's what I call my 10 point tax refund plan. Now, I wrote this in October of 2019 and presented it to uh, a local Kwanzaa event in December of 2019. Now, I had no idea that COVID was going to come roughly two, three months after I gave the presentation. But it seems like it came in handy, not only for the tax refund, but also for the stimulus checks that people were, you know, receiving. Okay. So I wrote it with how do we get people to organize our resources and to be able to maximize the resources that we do have. Okay. So, and I know we, we had talked about this, uh, in a previous show where I said every African person in America can be a $20 revolutionary. Bingo. Okay. So what I did was I did the math. Now, for this year, I said that I'm going to, for a 52-week period, I am going to make a $20 purchase each week from a Black-owned entity, be it brick-and-mortar or online. Okay? By the end of this year, I would have put $1,040 back into the hands of Black-owned businesses. Wow. Now, if we were to Hold take, on, do the math again, brother. Okay. Do the math again. So if we were to take $20 a week and we multiply that by 52 weeks, okay, each individual would have put $1,040 back into the hands of Black-owned businesses. Okay. Now, if we were to take that $1,040 and we multiply that by 50 million, do you realize that projected we can put $52 billion back into the hands of black owned businesses? Whoa. So, so what's the what's the point where we can really move the needle? Just guesstimation or estimation or by research. I know that you know you don't give Opinions, you can research. Um, but at what point do you think we could truly move the needle in changing the economic landscape? Would it take three years? And, uh, you know, five years, one year? Um, I mean, your numbers are kind of grandiose in some ways. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I think it takes a lot of us to participate to get those type of numbers. So, how many of us do we really need? Can we just do it in, in, you're in a certain part of New York. If your city in New York did it, mm. could it change the economic outlook of your black community, you know, residents? It can be a spark. And, you know, so like in my book, there are certain things that you can get, you can put to use immediately. Others are going to be more long term. Now, the scenario I just gave would be a long term 
but at least we can start at a micro level with each individual committing them, committing his or herself to making that $20 purchase. Okay. So this doesn't require marching. It doesn't require changing a public policy. It's just a shift in habits. Okay. Because a lot of times the real revolutions are quiet ones. Ooh, and being see, able to shift, you know, to shift those resources back into the hands of black owned businesses without even saying anything about it. I mean, think about it. How many jobs can we produce with $52 billion? And all we have to do is spend what? $20 a week with a, with a black owned entity. And like I said, it can be um, brick and mortar. It can be online. Mm, okay. I say, yo, hey, I'm, earlier I brought up, you know, the results of the information that the Hampton Roads Community Foundation shared with us. I wanted to bring that information up um, just so I can give a little deeper dive into it. Mm, all right. Because I think it really kind of accentuates everything that you're talking about. Mm. Uh, of course, I don't work for the Hampton Rose Black, I mean, Hampton Rose Community Foundation, um, but I do participate in some of their activities. In August, they've started Black Philanthropy, Philanthropy Month. I always have a hard time with that term. Philanthropy. Philanthropy. <laughs> you can read it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, uh, and so. Here's the information that I wanted to lead a forward author of Giving Back, a tribute to generations of African-American philanthropists mm-hmm. and a co-creator of an exhibit that I got a chance to participate in and see, which was beautiful, was unequivocal when asked about the state of black philanthropy. It is well and it is growing. Mm. Indeed, according to a repeatedly cited report from the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, black households donate 25% more of their income to nonprofits than do white households. Mm. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Incre- I, I want to highlight that part because a lot of us are like, you know, we ain't got no money. You know, we don't have any resources. Right. You know, but the fact that we're giving away 25% more than our white family members, our white counterparts, mm. you know, the Albions. <laughs> right. right. You know, but, but it also begs the question with all of this philanthropy, are, are we giving to our own organizations or are we giving to entities of other ethnicities? You know, I I think that that's, you know, another part of the equation, because if, you know, let's say we are giving at a greater rate than other ethnicities. But now where are we? And I know you gave a a, a short list of that. But if we were giving more to our own, to ourselves, then should we be should we be suffering the economic predicament that we're experiencing? You see, so I think if we were more intentional, 
You right. Know, and which is one of the things that I like about your cultural tithing. You know, when I bought my Malcolm Farrakhan hat, that was one of my line names, Malcolm Farrakhan. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, when I bought that, mm-hmm. I bought that through a vendor who's one of us. You know, it was a black owned business. Okay. Right. That, you know, did the sewing and everything from my Malcolm Farrakhan hat, you know? Mm. Okay. Now, now so, so to get to your point, okay, I did that because I was looking for a person in the Divine Nine, which are the historically black Greek-lettered organizations. I need to repeat Greek-lettered. We don't consider ourselves Greek. We consider ourselves Greek-lettered because we use Greek lettering in the names of our organization, but uh, but you know I, I you know I know how Steve Coakley you know he called me an oath keeper back in the day you know uh, bless him and all the other and you know when you're going through conscious thought you kind of rejects a lot of things that you valued before so I'm not trying to push that point right now what I am saying though is I sought out somebody who was in divine nine. And it was a, a Kappa brother who had this store. Mm-hmm. And um, he did a lot of the BLOG, the Black Greek Lettered Organization, Fraternity Sorority Paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. All right. So the same way that our, our quote unquote Jewish brothers and sisters seek out in their temple those who provide the services they need, I right. sought out somebody in the Divine Nine who had the service of the product that I need. What you're saying is with $20 a week and with an intent focus on when we do philanthropic work, that we do it to race first organizations that have our interest in mind, our interest on their agenda and our interest in their historicals. (laughs) You know, we can check their record and say, yeah, they doing for us. They working for us. They're moving for us Mm. because many times you'll see people who say, I want to do for y'all and they do for everybody. Right. And and it also ties in with uh, another principle in my book. And that principle is what I call economic synergy. And, and what I mean by that is this. When you look at any ethnic group, whether it's Little Italy, Chinatown, etc., Notice that the businesses within those within those communities or those enclaves, they complement one another. They don't compete against one another. They complement one another. And that's how you're able to get, you know, that dollar circulating because now it goes through different hands. You see. So let's take Black Wall Street, for example. Um, I did some research for a program uh, early last year. And to my surprise, they said a dollar that went into Black Wall Street, it circulated anywhere from 30 to 35 times. Okay. So that dollar stayed in that community for a significant amount of time before it left, if it ever left. Okay, and part of the reason is because we had entities, both 
for-profit and non-profit where that dollar could circulate because there are things within Black Wall Street where the businesses and the non-profits, the churches, et cetera, complemented one another. Oh, and our financial institutions, you know, our banks, our credit unions, um, you know, loan, loan companies, et cetera. Okay. So we have to look at not only cultural tithing, but we also have to look at the economic synergy and that economic synergy has to be built on a, on a model of productivity and philanthropy. Okay. Okay. All right. So bring it all together for me, brother. Give me the give me the big picture. Okay. Big picture. <clears throat> you know, we talked about being a twenty dollar revolutionary. Okay. We we have to be like you said. We have to be more deliberate and we have to be more intentional with not only how much we give but where we give it. Okay. And we have to make sure that, you know, and Dr. George Frazier always said this, all things being equal, ethnicity is the tiebreaker. So we need to begin to put ourselves first and begin to make contributions to those organizations that are committed to look out for our interests, be they civic, be they Masonic, fraternal, religious, political, what have you. Okay, we have to get into the habit of putting ourselves first and looking out for ourselves first. Okay, that's the that's really the the main theme of 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 this topic is at what point do we begin to put ourselves first? And cultural tithing is part of putting ourselves first. You know, in fact, I was having a conversation with someone who who attends a local uh, AME Zion church. And I said, well, brother, you need to give two two checks to the entity, one for the spiritual and one for the cultural. For those who know the the historical uh, impact that AME churches have made, uh, you know, towards black freedom movements in America. You see. So, so we have to begin to put ourselves first and use our resources to do so. The $20 revolutionary piece, is that business related or is that philanthropic? Is that going to a business or is that going to a not-for-profit organization? Mm-hmm. Initially, I, I had done the numbers for, for a business. Okay, but we can also put that towards a nonprofit as well. You see, so if we were to take the the, the same model and apply it to uh, a nonprofit, depending depending on what uh, entity you choose, now we not only have fifty two billion that can go back into the hands of black owned businesses, but now we can potentially have another 52 billion going back into the hands of uh, black nonprofits 
So now our philanthropy will make much more sense. So it can go either way. And like I said, it's really more of a, it can be a short term, but it's also more of a long term if you look at it on a macro level. You know, so for example, Dr. George Fraser says that, you know, over the next 100 years, we want African people to be the number one employer of African people. So that's a long term project. But the thing about being the $20 revolutionary, we can just start with where we are right now. As Booker T. Washington says, drop your bucket. Salute to the good brother, the good ancestor. May his name remain as a sense of strength. May his legacy remain as guidance for the next generations. Booker T. Washington. Uh, you know, you know, I, I love my Hampton University, so I have to love my Booker T. Washington. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, and and in in the in the case of the ancestor Booker T. Washington, um, we have to do a reassessment of him because he was able to raise money to build Tuskegee. I said, you got to give credit where credit is due. This guy went out and raised $6 million at age 24 to launch Tuskegee. To basically teach our people how to create things for ourselves. So if if we're going to uh, live in homes, we should build the bricks. If we're going to drink milk, then we should engage in animal husbandry, milk the cows, and you know, produce dairy products. Okay. Well, what I have on the screen is an interesting study from a diversity and giving study. That something you can access from that Hampton Roads Community Foundation page, and it mm-hmm. talks about how donors prioritize giving. So it looks like we give houses of worship the most amount of money. Hmm. Yeah, that's not followed by local social service organizations, which would be our, you know, civic organizations, fraternities, sororities, uh, children charities. So when we talked about, you know, the the step teams and the football teams and the basketball Mm -hmm. teams and the cheerleading squads and the dance groups, uh, that's how that is. Um, Animal rescue organizations that support the military's next emergency relief efforts. Okay. Fire and police. I think it's interesting that uh, <laughs> the African Americans, the Hispanic, and the Asians give the police about the same amount of money, while mm-hmm. the uh, our European, our white brothers and sisters, give them uh, a considerable amount more. Uh, environmental or nature conservation organizations, mm-hmm. and this is the area where uh, black folk don't give a whole lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> when you know. you're trying to, you know, save the seals or the uh, the ducks, um. <laughs> you know. Well, there there is, um, you know, something did come to mind that uh, I don't know if it's on that list, but I think one one way that we can begin to channel our our philanthropy is how much money are we giving to microfinance institutions. I'll give you an example. Um, You're familiar with uh, Kiva. I am. Okay. So when when that was created, I think it was created by some students at Stanford University. Um, The money that 
investors put up were actually microloans. And many times from what I saw, they were basically going to uh, potential borrowers in Africa. So you had a lot of African individuals who were using these funds to launch their own business. Okay. And then many of you may be familiar with um, Dr. Muhammad Yunus and the Grameen Bank, you know, which had the same principle. Okay. So are we, are we giving to entities that can actually help us go into business or can we even create our own? You know, because how many how many black microfinance institutions or black venture capitalists are you aware of besides Nas? You know, I, I think that's a, a bad question for me because I work in in finance, you know, outside of my educational pursuits. And I actually run with a, a number of people who are involved in that. So when you ask me, I can think of uh, a Donahue Baker from Money Ave, which is a black fintech bank. Mm-hmm. I can think of the good brother that we interviewed, Hassan Mia, who right. has PayBaby, which is a fintech neo bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can think of a number of people who are involved in some of the uh, other banking initiatives who are involved in Greenwood. And I'm talking about people I know personally. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so then I'm probably the wrong person to ask, but I would say in general, yeah, if you ask the you know, you know the Joe Smo, <laughs> then it would probably be a smaller number. They probably wouldn't have them on speed dial. You know, I could dial these people up right now, uh, but I think Joe Smo and um, Josette Smo, they they wouldn't have that that same connection. So I think it's important that we intentionally and deliberately find those people because they're looking for us, right. They're looking for us, so we need to look for them. Yeah, and it it all goes back to how do we organize our finances? Not budget, but how do we organize our finances and use them to work for our benefit? That's that's really the thing behind when when I coined the phrase cultural tithing. You know, because we're we're quick to give our spiritual ties, but are we giving our cultural ties? I think there's something in the Old Testament where it says, will a man rob God? Well, I asked the question, will you rob your brother or sister? Understood. Understood. You know. um, uh, yeah. Yes, we need to know these people. We need to know. And so I think one of the things I want to do right now, brother, mm-hmm. is kind of make sure that we do know these people. Uh, so one of the things I want to bring up and I didn't plan to do this so I'm kind of doing this on the fly so bear with me Um, but this is a tech company Mm. that's started and managed by the Melanated, it's black owned (laughs) (laughs) that provides personal loans and also allows you and I to invest in becoming the, the the giver, the lender. Mm, okay. So you and I can become the lender and you and I can also become the borrower. Oh, okay. And uh, 
our, our person on Facebook is also saying, yes, we will rob our brothers and sisters. <laughs> will a man rob God? Well, we're definitely going to rob our brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm, wow. Yeah, so far, um, allows you to do peer-to-peer lending. So, uh, you know, Minister Zumbi, when you're launching your next book and you need seed money, let's say 10K in seed money, mm-hmm. you know, you can use this SoFi platform and I will and a few other people will get our money together and we'll be able to lend you that 10K. Right. And when you pay your money back, we all profit. Mm-hmm. And, and in most cases, if if I'm not mistaken, the interest rate is tremendously lower than what you would find at a traditional uh, bank or credit union. If, if I'm not mistaken. You're not mistaken. I have the numbers right there on the screen. Hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll make them a little larger so that others can... You know the viewing audience can see it a little better. Um, okay, but yeah, the numbers are the rates are favorable. Mm-hmm. The rates are favorable, right? And so you can and- borrow up to a hundred thousand with a low rate of four point seven four APR. Oh, okay. Up to nineteen point. And of course, it's going to your credit is all going to you know impact certain things, but they found some really interesting ways because they they know and the reason I say they mm-hmm. they know uh, is because I got a chance to interview the brother I don't know I don't have this brother on speed on you know speed dial but I did get a chance to interview him and uh, I got a chance to understand some of the things that he does and he has some really good articles so if you Google owner of SoFi okay. uh, you you'll find his information in they're very they're very uh they have a really great structure i support them haven't done one yet i was about to do one but i've known three people who've used them Um, Mm. and they 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 had a good experience right okay yeah and and you know just i know because like i know people were kind of thinking about you know cultural tithing you know what's what's that so when I when I first coined the phrase and then I had to explain to people you know what what cultural tithing was they I I think it it took a while for some of them to catch on because they only think of tithing in a in a religious spiritual context not in a cultural context you see but you know, then again, you have um, those who are in those religious spiritual entities that are also cultural, i.e. Uh, Nation of Islam, etc. OK, to where you can do a two in one, if you will. OK, because now you you give a spiritual tithe, you give a cultural tithe. So so the cultural tithing thing is slowly beginning to catch on. And that way, people can begin to think of tithing beyond that religious spiritual uh, paradigm. Okay, I need to make an. I need to. I need to make a correction. 
okay. <laughs> I need to make a correction. Let this go on the record. Um, that I went to SoFi and the actual black owned company is Solo. Oh, Solo. Okay. Yeah, Solo Funds. <laughs> Solo, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was showing the wrong one. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> bad Seiko, bad Seiko. But, uh, yeah, this is the right one. Mm, okay. I got the right one, baby. Yes, sir. I, uh, this is this is the right one. Mm-hmm. I kept saying something just looks different. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Now I don't want people to, you know, because a lot of people's um, quote unquote budgets, you know, may be a bit stretched already. So as your financial condition improves, now you can right right. Uh, begin to um, engage in cultural tithing once all your basic needs are met you see so so we don't want you to think that you have to immediately start you know doing cultural tithing we want you to make sure you you meet all your basic needs and then from there you can begin to you know practice that cultural tithing so I, I just wanted to make that clear yeah, and I need to make clear again that I meant to say solo funds instead of so far. So I'm gonna thank myself again. All right, but yeah, let's go over cultural tithing with his, which is principle 19 in your book. Mm-hmm. And um, hey, I, I think you've given a great description on the importance of cultural tithing and why sh- we should do it and what it is. But um, just to round everything out, you know, let's see what the book looks like. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> All right. So let me put my bookmark back in here. Here's the book. All right. Okay. And your screen froze. So just go ahead and keep talking, bro. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and like I said, we're coming up on uh, February 14th, which is the one year anniversary for when this book was released. Um, you should be able to pick it up at, at your African-centered bookstore or African-owned bookstore, uh, as well as Amazon. This is what I call my Black Economic Blueprint for the 21st Century and Beyond. What I found is that when we study what I call the science of beef, and beef stands for business, economics, entrepreneurship, and finance, we, we study it without our own cultural lens okay so we read Rich Dad we read things from Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman but there's no cultural component to it so basically what I did and the best way I've always described this philosophy is where I basically took Rich Dad and mixed it with Malcolm X's uh, philosophy of black nationalism Okay, so now you have something to where you can begin to look at the science of beef through an African centered paradigm. Because I've always felt the cultural component was missing. Now, I stand on the shoulders of those predecessors who have written books uh, and created blueprints. You know, people such as uh, our ancestor, Dr. Amos Wilson. Uh, people like Dr. Juwanta Kanjufu in Chicago, 
Dr. Jim Klingman in Cincinnati, Dr. Claude Anderson, who is the architect of the Powernomics program, okay, and and others, um, even our good elder Dr. Herbert Harris, okay. So all I'm doing is just basically adding on and giving my contribution and pretty much bringing things up to speed, you know, because a lot of times we, we get into situations where we, we practice certain money rules and they're obsolete. Like Jerome Powell, who's the chair of the Federal Reserve, he's made it clear, look, we are in a post-COVID economy and it will never return to the way it was before March of 2020. Okay. So we're in an economy where we have to become more entrepreneurial minded. We're in an economy where, you know, having multiple streams of income is a must. You know, it's not a luxury anymore. It's a must because the one thing that this pandemic has shown us is that job security is the ultimate lie. It doesn't exist. So you never want to be at the mercy of only having one, maybe two streams of income because in the blink of an eye, it can be gone. So you always have to make sure that you've got multiple streams of income. So if you lose one, you can live off the others. Okay. Because as Warren Buffett says, you never want to get caught swimming naked. Okay. You still there? Still there. I'm just taking it all in, brother. Just taking it all in. Okay. Yeah. So I'm kind of... You know, with the with the screen and everything, but but yeah, so that's that's really, um, and I know we've expanded beyond the cultural tithing, but if you get the book, you'll see all of the principles, you'll see the Ten Commandments, you'll see the core beliefs, uh, as well as let me make sure I'm not missing anything. You know, a lot of people, you know, when when somebody bought this, I think one gentleman sent me a picture where he has it on the nightstand right next to his Bible. And another gentleman, I think he had his right next to his Quran. So it's it's deeply humbling that people would hold hold this book in such high reverence. You see, so. Yeah, and uh, yeah. you know what? What I want to oh, now your screen is back. So show the book again. Oh yes, sir. I say, I say, and okay. uh, let's end with this, man. You want everyone to become cops? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of you who who watched the show we did on the three sixty deal, I said that we're in a climate where. Every African person needs to be a cop and a cop is an acronym, which means you must be a creator and owner and a producer. That's that's the type of cop we need to be. 
okay, so whatever it is, whether it's content, whether it's a physical product, whether it's a service, you must create it, own it, produce it. And then once you do that, you should be able to find ways to uh, distribute it and repeat the process. Okay. And on the screen, we have a plethora of cops, of those of us who were creators, owners, and producers. Yes, um, sir. One of which I want to say is is the uh, gorgeous sister Mary Spio <laughs> or Spio, Mary Spio. I can't. Yeah, I think it's Spio. Mm-hmm. Um, we interviewed her on the Black Wall Street Today episode uh, podcast. Black Wall Street Today with Blair Durham podcast and her particular episode was dope because she's the sister who built the metaverse that Facebook purchased and is using okay Mary Spile she is the queen who developed the metaverse that Facebook is now using interestingly enough they bought it and then they changed their name to meta <laughs> mm. Oh, so so she gets no residuals. They just basically bought it. He got paid. I don't know all the deals in that okay. particular interview. Um, I mean, you know, she's wealthy beyond her wildest dreams now. Trust me. <laughs> you know that that sounds like. Jack. Yeah, that sounds like the story. I don't know if you ever heard the story of how YouTube was built. Tell me. Okay. So YouTube was built by by three young men who all met while they were working at PayPal. And so really what they did was they, they looked at the model that Sean Parker developed with Napster when they were doing, you know, file sharing with music. So they kind of, you know, did a similar thing with videos. You know, I mean, we all remember when your videos at one point were only what, 10 minutes. Okay. They went from zero to by year five, they got bought out by Google to the tune of 1.65 billion split three ways. That's a nice split. I'll take that split any day. Okay. (laughs) But here's the funny part. You, You created something where there's no overhead, there's no inventory, and you were able to scale it to a point to where, you know, you can you can sell it and basically, you know, right off into the sunset. Okay. So so that's just an example of you don't necessarily have to create something, you know, quote unquote physical. It can be virtual and have just as much value. Okay. And, and it goes back to what Albert Einstein says. He says, look, imagination is more is more infinite than information. One of the good things about the Queen Mary Spio, uh, even though she created something and sold it to Facebook and became multimillionaire, she also has Seek, C-E-E-K VR, which is a uh, blockchain-based streaming service for virtual events and other virtual experiences. And so she has her own headset system and I have that on the screen. So you can buy it at Best Buy, you can buy it at Target, 
You can buy it on Amazon.com. You can buy it at her website. And she has a whole website that has games, videos, concerts, performances, where you can put on their the VR headsets and you're now singing with the Spice Girls. You know, you, you get a chance to touch what is a crazy spice, a sexy spice, you know, the black girl. <laughs> oh, uh, what is it, Ginger Spice? Ginger Spice, Ebony Spice, <laughs> whatever it was, you know, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, you, can, you can rock along with DMX. Oh, wow. You can rock along and rhyme along with NBA Young Boys. You know, mm. you can dance along with Prince or Michael Jackson or James Brown. Mm. Or Usher or Chris Brown, uh, <laughs> you, know, you can actually participate in the environment, the the entertainment through mm. her Seek VR stuff. So, sisters on top of things, sisters on top of things, and she's doing exactly what you talk about. Mm-hmm. She was a creator, a owner, and a producer. That's right. So, and I hey, know she hey, protected her her intellectual property. I would say so. Yes. I would say so. Mm-hmm. All right, brother. Uh, last words, man. Last words. Well, last words. Like I said, be a cop, be a creator, owner, producer. Uh, practice your cultural tithing. Make sure you give a dime out of every dollar to a race first organization. And for those of you who either have a copy of my book or who will get a copy of my book, since we're approaching tax season, make sure you read the chapter that's called the 10 point tax refund plan. So it'll give you kind of like 10 points of how you can use that windfall to your advantage. Yo, yeah. So if you're one of the people that gets a refund, keep in mind you get a refund when something goes wrong. <laughs> I tell my clients that all the time. You know, if you go to McDonald's and they get their order wrong, you know, you should get a refund. Right. If you file your taxes and all year you've done something wrong, you withheld the wrong amount, mm-hmm. you get a refund. That's right. Stay floss, 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 stay The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. Stay floss, stay floss, stay floss, stay floss, stay floss, stay floss.